Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2016 Annual Missions Conference. This is the second morning service of Sunday the 5th of June 2016, entitled Glorious Treasure in Feeble Bodies. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. Here's missionary Travis Snowd. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number uh, 4 this morning. And uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And it's a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you. And I trust that the Lord will speak to our hearts. Do you have anything valuable in your life? You don't have to answer me. Um, I don't, maybe you've got a big wad of bills in your pocket, you know, just carrying around a few spare million. <laughs> can you get a can you get a million in your pocket? Nobody in history would know. But probably all of us have something in our life that is at least valuable to us. Maybe it's just your mobile phone. Um, I have a, a mobile phone. I have an iPhone, and I also have a a case on my phone called a life proof case, and the theoretically. Uh, you can drop the phone, you can throw the phone, you can put it in water, you can put it in snow, you can dust won't get it. But you know, um, I don't really want to have to find out. I do know you can drop it and it won't break. I, I've had that experience. One of my, my good friends or previously good friends said, oh yeah, let me see that, that phone, your phone, that case is great. Look, you can just drop it. And he took my phone and dropped it. And I said, what are you doing? You know, that's meant to be extreme cases. You don't just do it for fun. But if you have something valuable, you want to protect it. If you have something valuable, you want to kind of display it. Uh, maybe um, some of you will uh, connect with this illustration. My, my granny had um, a lot of valuable plates and things, and she didn't let the grandkids eat off these plates because they were, they were nice. They were the fine china. But I always remember seeing them in a china case. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I talk about a, a china case. So the, the, the purpose of the case was to display the valuable china that was inside of it. Well, this morning we're going to talk about treasure, and we're going to talk about valuables. We're going to talk about the greatest treasure, but then we're going to talk about the container that God gives us for this great treasure. And it's not the kind of container we might think. As a matter of fact, it's probably the, the least likely place to put the valuable treasure of the gospel into the lives of weak people but he does it for a purpose. And so let's read this morning 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 1 and read down to verse number 18. The Bible says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." 
For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray together and then we'll dive into God's word this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning in your name. Thank you for the work that you do in our lives and through our lives. And Father, I pray today that you will help us to have a renewed vision of how glorious the gospel is and what a wonderful privilege it is to be messengers of the gospel and to do it all for your honor and for your glory. And Father, we pray for your help now. We pray for your blessing. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would work in and through our lives and would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, as you probably are aware, and it was written to a group of people, Christians, in a place called Corinth. And what was happening was that Paul went to Corinth a number of years before. He preached the gospel, people believed on Christ, and a new church was started But after Paul left, some other people came along and began to kind of attack the work that Paul had had done there and to attack his message and to kind of suggest that Paul wasn't really a full-fledged apostle, that he really didn't have the qualifications to be able to authoritatively say, this is the way things should be done. Well, Paul 
responds to that, and he writes back. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, he is kind of asserting his authority, his qualifications uh, to be able to serve God and to be able to say, no, actually, this is the way things should be done. But he uses an unusual um, bragging point or point of qualification, we could say, to show that he was really an apostle. And the thing that he uses is not his accomplishments, but his sufferings. And he will say, my sufferings are not the things that show that I'm not an apostle. Actually, they're the things that prove I truly am an apostle because I have suffered for the cause of Christ more than any of these other guys you're listening to. And it's kind of an unusual way to look at it. But it helps us because this morning as we think about taking the gospel to people that don't know about Jesus, I don't know about you, but that makes us all a little bit worried, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, if I said, um, look, could um, somebody randomly come up and speak this morning, you know, and I just pointed my finger, and you'd be thinking, no, you know, I'll never go back to that church again if that guy's going to do that. Put me on the spot like that. And probably up there with public speaking is the fear of speaking to others about their religion, right? I mean, that's the worst thing you could possibly have to do, is to go around and say, what do you think of Jesus Christ? I mean, you could talk about football, you could talk about rugby, you could talk about anything. But religion and Jesus, that's the last thing any of us would want to do. And it's probably the last thing we feel qualified to do is to talk about faith and God and eternity. So why in the world are we meeting today to think about the idea of that we should go share about Jesus with others? Well, that's exactly why God's chosen us. Because when God uses people like us, frail, weak people, to get out his message of the gospel, guess who gets the glory? God does, doesn't he? And God is God for a reason because he deserves the glory. So this morning we're going to look at three things. We're going to look, first of all, the glorious treasure of the gospel. We're going to look at the frail containers of the gospel. And then we're going to look at the goal of all of it is the glory of God. So let's notice, first of all, the glorious treasure of the gospel. And Paul is obviously writing a letter, and so we're not going to take time to read the whole letter. You'll be happy to know. But we're picking up in the middle, and he's dealing with the glorious treasure of the gospel. And I just want to say a couple things uh, about the gospel from the passage. Notice in verse number 1 about the gospel. First of all, Paul says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, and he's referring to the new covenant ministry that he's been given, he says, As we have received mercy, we faint not. The first thing we see about the gospel is that the gospel is a gift. Paul says, We received mercy. Paul understood, and we need to understand this morning, that the gospel is a gracious gift. It's not something that is earned. It's not something that can be earned. You might say, well, what do I need to do? Like the, remember the the young man that came to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be a good Christian? Well, I'm in church today. 
Is that kind of a little tick on my, my chart of goodness? And God says, let's put a star on that. Let's put a smiley face. Good on you. You were in church on the 5th of June. I'm in church on my birthday. I'm preaching on my birthday. Does that move me up an extra little notch on God's, on God's list of goodness? No. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It is a gift from God. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's a gift from God. And everything we do for God must flow out our understanding that we have received this gift of the gospel. Aren't you glad the gospel is a gift this morning? Aren't you glad you don't, you, you don't have to work for it? Because I don't know about you, if God put a, a star every time I did something good, and, a, and a, or maybe a smiley face every time I did something good, and a frowny face every time I did something bad, my chart would have a lot of frowning. I don't know about you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but there'd be a lot of frowning. Because one of the problems even with doing the good things is a lot of times we do it for the wrong reasons, don't we? And so really, if we're honest, we can't be good enough, but God's gospel is a free gift that is given to all. And if anyone could have earned it, it would have been Paul. He outwardly had kept all the laws, but he knew inwardly he was a sinner. And this morning, if you're here and you've never received the gospel, it is extended to you through Jesus Christ as a free and gracious gift. And just as a gift is given without any strings attached, it's received simply through faith and acceptance and not through some time of effort on our own. And so Paul's work of getting the gospel out flowed from the fact that it was given to him as a gift. God had been merciful to him, and God wants to be merciful to all of us this morning. But we see, secondly, that the gospel is life-changing. If you look now, verse number 2, Paul goes on, he says, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. He says, we turned our back on the old way of living, the dishonest and sinful way of living, and even a way in which these false teachers we talked about were living. He says, we don't walk in craftiness or dishonesty and deceit, and we don't handle the word of God deceitfully. But we, by manifestation of the truth, commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul was living differently now. He said, now we're living honestly and truthfully and righteously. And when you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a revolutionary truth that should radically change your life. To understand you're a child of God, it's a whole new identity. It's a whole new way of thinking about things. It totally changes your perspective. Has the gospel changed your life? We're not going to be able to go out and share the message of the gospel if we're not excited about ourselves. We were out on the, the high street there uh, yesterday. We came up a bit early uh, for, for, for the, the trip up with my family. And um, we were out there on the high street. And everywhere you looked, there were people that were excited about something. There was people out on the street, leave, 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 you know, and, and you know how when you're on the high street, you pretend you don't see him, right? So let's say, let's say this gentleman, he's selling something. Well, when I'm back here, I've, I've got to have alert senses, don't I? Because I have to subtly appear to not be avoiding him, but definitely be avoiding him. You know, Do you, are you with me? You know, that's a good moment. That's a good moment to kind of, oh yeah, what, I, gotta, I think I might be getting a text message at some point in the next day, you know? 
And, and, and you pass, like, all right, put that back in. But see, if I'm not careful, I got to remember there might, that they might be passing out something over here, right? And it was, it was tricky, I must admit, yesterday. And the nice thing when you have kids is they kind of like, ooh, I don't know about, you know, that's a, that's a lot going on there. So they sometimes do, don't come after you. But you want to avoid this, but you got to avoid this. So you're trying to, but everyone there was passionate about their message, and Paul here says, my life's been changed. I mean, Paul, he was headed this direction, and he was killing the Christians. Then he turns around, and he is being trying to be killed as a Christian. That's a big change, isn't it? And the gospel is a life-changing message. If, if, you, if you say, well, are you a Christian? Yeah, well, of course I'm a Christian. But when did you become a Christian? Well, I've just kind of always been a Christian. That doesn't really sound much like a life-changing message, does it? It's like somebody saying, well, well, when was your birthday? Well, I've just kind of always been around, you know? Just, it's just, you know, could I ask your mom? Right? No, nah, well, he's just always been there, you know? We don't really know. He just kind of gradually came, came into being, I guess. No, you had a, there was a crisis moment, especially for your mom and your dad, when, when, uh, when you weren't there and then you were there. And the gospel is crisis. It's a new birth, isn't it? It radically changes our life. Has your life been changed? And Paul says, man, my life's been changed. That's why I was excited about telling somebody. And one of the problems is the, the law, you know, it's like birthdays. There's a point where it's not quite as exciting as it was when you were like seven, you know? I mean, when you're seven turning eight, I mean, that's like, the whole world just stands still for 24 hours. And just like, my birthday. You know, it's just like everything. It could be raining, but you're having a great day. But, you know, at some point, you stop feeling quite like that, you know? You're just like, if I could just get an extra hour of sleep, that'd be great, you know? Because uh, you know you still have to pay bills and everything else. You're, that you you got to buy your own presents practically. You know, I'd, I took myself out to eat yesterday. And I'm like, ooh, you know, that's going to hurt. At Five Guys, where a burger costs like, you have a mortgage for a burger. But we went there. It was good. How many like Five Guys? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? But you don't go there every day, do you? Uh, I don't anyway. Maybe you do. I want to go with you. Thirdly, the gospel is what all men need. Look at verse 3. So he says, but if our gospel be hid, and the guys in verse 2 he's kind of subtly referring to, who were using the gospel for their own means, they didn't really care about getting the message out, they really cared about using the message to pad their own pockets, to fill their own rooms, to gain their own popularity. He says, if we do that with the gospel and we hide it or we use it in a wrong way or we add something to it, what happens? It's hid to them that are lost. Do you understand this morning, if you've received the gospel, you are very, very blessed. If you've heard the gospel that Jesus Christ was God, come down into the world as a man without ceasing to be God, that he died on a cross, was buried, he paid for the sins of the whole world, and rose again. If you understand and believe that message, you are blessed that your sins are forgiven. But if you and I hide it, whether deliberately or through fear, guess who misses out? We might miss out a bit, but we're still going to heaven. But what about our neighbor? And what about our, our family member? What about our friend? They don't know, do they? And it's hid to them. It would be like um, 
you know, saying, uh, folks, uh, just before we start the service, we just need to go over if there's a fire. Uh, the way out is just through this door and that door. Maybe there's, I don't know if there's a door over here. But deliberately waiting to say that while someone's not in the room and not telling them. And they're confused. They don't know how to get out. And we deliberately, all of us know, but we don't tell one particular person or a group of people. How wrong would that be? And Paul says, guys, this isn't a game here. I mean, if the people in Birmingham don't hear about Jesus, how are they going to get to heaven? How are they going to be saved and rescued from their sin? The world's worked for centuries trying to figure life out without God. It isn't working very well, is it? There's yet to be a person that's lived forever. There's yet to be a person who has managed to, to figure it all out on their own because without Jesus Christ, they're lost. And Paul says the gospel must be told. Are we telling it? The fourth thing we see is that the gospel is going to be opposed and is opposed by the God of this world. Look at verse 4. He says, in whom the God of this world. Who's the God of this world? Satan. Now, we know there's a big God, right? There's the real God. Satan thinks he's God, but he's not. He tries to pretend like he's God. So he's given some authority, some influence over this world system. And look what he's doing. Does he want the gospel gotten out there? No, he doesn't. It says he has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. The gospel is severely opposed by Satan. He hates the gospel. And he wants churches to stop sharing the gospel. And he wants you to think that it's not your job. And he wants to think that you're not able. He wants you to think that it won't work, that nobody wants the gospel. That's, that's what he's trying to do. He hates the gospel. Well, if Satan hates it, then it should make us think maybe we should do what he doesn't like. Because if we do what he likes, we're on his team. How many of you want to be on Satan's team this morning? I didn't think so. How many of you want to be on the other team this morning? Because he loses, right? We know the end of the story. He's the loser of the story. But he wants to stop the gospel. And he wants to shut the mouths of the gospel carriers. And so when we don't share the gospel, we kind of feed into his plan. I don't want to feed into his plan. I don't want to feed into his agenda to blind the minds and the hearts of people from hearing the truth. Look at the, at the last part of verse 4. The gospel is how God is revealed to men. See, this is a treasure we're going to talk about that's hid in our lives. It says, it's he, um, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know why the gospel is so amazing? Is because the gospel is the way that we come to know God. It's called glorious here because Jesus Christ reveals God to men. There's only one way to know God, and it's through Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. He's the one that brings God and man together. And Satan doesn't want men to know God. And so he hides the way to God, and that's Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, though, you can have the light and the 
the knowledge of God shine into your life this morning. Maybe you're here. Maybe you say, yeah, I'm a believer in God. I believe in God. We all believe in God, right? Well, the key is not just to believe in God, but how do you get to that God? How do you come to know God? And there's only one way. Jesus said that I am the way. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to the Father but by him. Have you come to God through Jesus? Jesus is the only way. We see the gospel is the message that needs to be proclaimed. Look now, verse number five. It says, but we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul says, that's why we're going around preaching, not ourselves, not like those guys you've been listening to that all they want to do is talk about who they are and what they've done and kind of get their own following. He says, I'm not doing that. What I'm preaching is that Jesus Christ is the Lord that he's the God, that he's Savior, that he's King, and that people need to trust in him. And we're just servants. Our job's just to be a servant. You see, Paul understood that the gospel needs to be broadcast. It needs to be proclaimed and preached. If this gospel will change the life of every person, if this message of Jesus is the only way to God, and we struggle with that concept, don't we? Because people say, well, what about those I've never heard? Or what about people that believe something else? I mean, they're good, really, some are really good people, and they are good people. Do you mean to tell me, come on, are, really? It, did he say it or didn't he say it? I'm the way. He didn't say, well, you know, if, if you like, you know, it's, you can travel sort of business class or first class or economy class or, you know, whatever, but, you know, we're all kind of on the plane, we're just going about a different route, or we're all kind of coming up the mountain from a different angle, but, it's, you know, we're all going to get to the top, may just some be a bit rougher than others. He didn't say that, did he? He said there's one way, and if that's really true, if you have to believe on Jesus Christ to be saved, then we need to tell people, don't we? They at least should have an opportunity to hear that. Now, not, most people aren't going to want to hear it, but they should at least have an opportunity, shouldn't they? They should at least have a choice. We love choice. They need to have a choice to hear about Jesus. We must tell them. But look at verse number six, and this is really key here. Because before we move into the telling part, we need to see as well that the gospel must genuinely impact our life before we will want to proclaim it. Verse six now. Because most of us are thinking, I don't really want to do this. I mean, frankly, I don't have any plans actually to do this this week, this month, or this year. I'm happy even to put a few pound in the collection so somebody else can do it. Because frankly, the thought of going out and telling people about Jesus, that's the last thing I would ever plan or want to do. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to walk out those doors and I have no plans whatsoever. That's probably where, unfortunately, kind of, that's, our, that's my comfort zone. You know, I hear stories about these preachers that win, you know, the entire plane to the Lord while they're flying, you know, flying from, from Birmingham to London. That's not my personality. My personality is to just head down and, and just, you know, stick. That, that's the way I am. So this doesn't come natural. But look at what Paul says why was he so motivated? He says, verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. 
He says, it reminds me of how God brought light into the world. Boom. Let there be light, and there was light. That miracle, that power, is the same kind of way that God shined in our hearts, guys. And he's talking to these Corinthians. You were, you were idol worshipers. You were fornicators. You were idolaters. You were this and you were that. And, and I, so was I. I was re- proud of my religion. But God shined his light into our hearts in the, in the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Like light out of darkness, God worked in our lives. And guys, he changed our lives How can we not tell people what he's done? How can we not share about Jesus Christ? He hung on a cross, naked and humiliated, bloodied, embarrassed, all all the shame and the ridicule for you and for me. How can we not say to someone, Jesus loves you and he died for you? How can we not do that? Imagine my, my daughter Darcy here with me. I'm proud she's my daughter. Who's the, imagine you said, who's this young lady? Oh, her, um, uh, I think her name's Darcy. Um, yeah, yeah, her name's Darcy. I, 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 yeah, I, I know a little bit about her. You'd be like, oh, oh, you do? Well, who? She's my daughter. You'd be like, what's wrong with that dad, you know? I mean, now she might feel that way about me. I don't think she does, but she might feel that way about me. This is my dad, you know? Um, but she's my daughter. How sad if I wasn't proud of her, right? But what about Jesus? What did you do on Sunday? Yeah, I was, you know, not much really. Just a few things. Did you go anywhere? Well, I was just hanging out with a few friends. Oh, interesting. Was Jesus one of those friends? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 at church and stuff. Why not say, yeah, actually, uh, you know, it was fantastic. I had a great time with my best friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves me and died for me. He loves you too. Why don't we approach it that way? Why are we so cowardly and ashamed of Jesus Christ, our Savior? He was not ashamed of us. And Paul's was, life was radically changed. And I think one of the reasons that I struggle, and maybe you struggle, is because sometimes we forget just all that he's done for us. We don't fully grasp how glorious the gospel is. We were not good people. We may have been British or European or Westerner or African or Caribbean, wherever you're from, Asian. You, you, oh, we're, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. No, we were sinners. We were enemies of God. We were lost in darkness. And Jesus came and rescued us from all of that. And he changed our life. And he should be the most important person. And he should be the, one of the first things we want to talk about to people. Are you with me? We say amen. Amen. The gospel's glorious. Now look at the second thing now. This is where it's incredible. Because at verse 7, look what it says. It says, but we, after he's just exalted how great this gospel is. He says, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel in an earthen vessel. This glorious, valuable, wonderful, amazing, life-changing, devil-defeating, God-revealing gospel, he says, 
is contained within mere clay pots, within a vessel made from earth. And that may be how you feel this morning. I know it's how I feel. Because I think if you're a believer in Christ, at some level you will say, man, the gospel is amazing. But then you think, why, why, is it in, why am I responsible to share it? Because I'm not up to the task. I am an inferior vessel for a, an incredible message. I'm weak and I'm scared and I'm, I, I'm not that, that good with all this and, and I'm not like Paul and I'm the last person that should be carrying around the message. Well, Paul felt the same way and the Corinthians probably felt the same way. They were frail containers of the gospel But look at the rest of verse 7. Why? Why has God put this great gospel in in clay pots, in weak people? He says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God chooses us not because we're good and great and powerful and smart and clever, but God chooses us because we are weak and unable so that when we are used... Guess whose power is praised? His power. So that the, his power is made excellent. And Paul says, every time I take a beating, and every time I'm shipwrecked, and every time I go through all sorts of hard stuff, and the gospel keeps spreading, people are like, well, didn't Paul? Because that guy's, he, I mean, he's a disaster. I mean, his method is go get beat, you know? Hey, guys. Outreach on Saturday. Let's go get thrown in jail. Who's with me? You know? You're like, we're going to go out on the streets and people are going to throw rocks at us. All right, let's get a sign-up sheet. We need a couple of them because everybody's wanting to go. That's his plan. People are like, uh, Paul, we're going to go with Barnabas on his missionary journey because his sounds a lot better. Yours always ends and, you know, everything just falls apart. And Paul's like, Exactly. And that's my plan, because when that happens and the gospel still spreads, people know it wasn't me. It was God. And that's kind of the way our life is. Because here you are, and you got a, you got a gospel leaflet in your hand, and you're like, oh. God's like, I can use that. I can start with that. That's good. Now, you were a little bit ashamed there. You were a little bit, you know, you were kind of like 007 uh, evangelist for Jesus. But he can work with that, Right? And then, and then you knock on somebody's door. Hello. Um, yeah, we're from, uh, what's the name of our church again? Uh, yeah, we're from the, you know, the, there's a church over there. And my name's, um, what's my name again? Um, anyways, we just wanted to give you this. Bye. And you're like, oh, man. Oh, I'm so terrible at this. And God's like, I can work with that. And they read it, and they're like, wow. Man, I, you know, just lost somebody in our family and this seems to have the answer. They don't care about you. God uses feeble, frail vessels to get his message out. Paul goes on and he he says, look at this, verse 8, he says, We are troubled on every side. Everywhere we go, there's trouble. But we're not, we're not distressed. We're, we're, we're perplexed. 
but we're not despairing. We're not giving up. Somehow we're able to keep going. We get persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We get cast down, but we're not destroyed. Everywhere we go, it looks like we're failing, but actually we never completely fail. Everywhere we go, it feels like we just, we, we, we mess it all up, but actually God somehow works through it. God's power worked through all the suffering and the problems they faced. And as our lives are broken through suffering, God's power in the gospel is revealed. As we go out there and people reject us and mock us and make fun of us, God will work through that. And as we deal with the trials and the difficulties, God will work through that. Paul goes on, he says, we always, verse 10, bear about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Man, he says, I can identify. I feel like every day I'm, I'm dying. And when you go out here to share the gospel, it's going to hurt. It's going to feel like dying. It's going to feel like you're putting, you know, you are just sacrificing your friendship. And even sometimes familial relationships. Because now you've brought this very awkward conversation about Jesus into the room. And couldn't we just stick with, with fairly surface-based things? Now you're talking about Jesus and stuff, and it's, it's, you know, you've ruined it. And you're dying now. But look what he says in verse number 11. He says that the, um, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. As we are prepared to die the life of Jesus will begin to live. Verse 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. We're doing it for his sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh and in this weak, frail body that feels like it's dying. The life of Jesus is able to be revealed. And as we go out in our feeble efforts and our frailing attempts to share the gospel, and it feels like everything's just falling apart and we're, we're, we're losing friends and we're offending people and we don't want to, but we're that church that just won't stop talking about Jesus, we die and Jesus lives. As we even suffer for the message, we die Jesus lives. His name is broadcast. Verse 12, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. Here's the amazing thing that happens. The life of Jesus begins to, to live as people believe the message. And Paul says, I actually die. It cost me to come to you guys. And everywhere Paul went, dying, 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 suffering, suffering, suffering. But when he would leave... There's life. Somebody hear the message and believe. Somebody hear the message and be saved. And if it takes you dying and losing much of your pride, much of what people respect about you, so that you and I would share the gospel, so that others will live, wouldn't it be worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it so they would find the life of Christ, they would believe and be saved? But somebody could look back and say, yeah, actually, I'm really thankful I had a friend in university who spoke to me about Jesus. I read a really encouraging story you can get by a guy named Nabil Koreshi. You might have heard of him, called um, 
I think it was seeking all of finding Jesus. He had a friend named David for years would speak to him about the Lord. And now Nabil will go around and talk about Christ. But it took David risking a friendship. It took David having some tough conversations to be willing to, in a sense, die so that Nabil could live in Christ. Will you die so others can live? Now, what is the point of all this? Because it seems really an orthodox way for God to do things. Well, look at verse 13 now. And we'll finish in just a couple of minutes. He says, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, and he's going to refer to Psalm 116. He says, we have the same spirit there that we, that where it says, I believed, therefore I've spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Paul spoke out of his belief. Yesterday on the high street, I saw people that believed in something. They believed strongly in their message. They were not afraid to get behind a microphone. I saw people behind tables handing out literature. People that believed in something. So they started speaking about it. And here's one thing about it. If you have real strong belief in something, you can't help but speak about it. Some of the most passionate people are some of the most naturally quiet people. But if you get them on the right topic you won't be able to make them be quiet. It could be, it could be a football. It could be um, cooking. It could be vitamins. It could be exercise. It could be technology. You know, and what you thought was a quiet person, you ask them about computers and away they go. And you're like, ooh, okay. I didn't mean to just friendly, you know, a little question. And now you're telling me why, you know, I'm of the devil if I have a PC and not a Mac or something. And I'm like, whoa, you know, this is some serious belief coming out here. And Paul says, as I experience the power of God helping me through these sufferings, I develop some real faith in God. And it's out of that faith I now speak. I can't but help but talk about it, just like the psalmist in Psalm 116. And so as God helps us through the challenges, the difficulties, the breaking of our flesh, he develops faith, and now that faith, we can't help but speak about it. What do you believe about Jesus? Well, he is my Lord and my Savior. I've got to say that. I've got to tell you. And Paul says, we speak because we really believe it. We believe this, and here's the, here's the final point. The goal of all of it is the glory of God, verse 17, or verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. One day we're going to rise, and we're going to stand before Jesus with you, and we're going to be presented there. And that's the reality for every child of God is you will stand before God one day. It won't be before your friends. It won't be before your boss. It won't be before your family. It won't be before your neighbor. It will be before Jesus to give an account. And Paul will later on say, that's why we persuade men. I'm a little bit nervous about that meeting. I, I know the terror of the Lord, not terror of being cast into hell, but terror of, I got to speak to the boss. You know, imagine your boss told you, I'd like to speak to you tomorrow morning be there in my office 9 a.m. How would you feel? I'll show up at 9.30. Hey, boss, what about you? No, you're going to be like, well, uh, how's it going? I hope I'm not losing my job today. No, no, I just want to say good job. You're like, oh, thank you. I thought I did something wrong. You know, he says, I'm a little nervous about the meeting. 
I'm a little nervous about the meeting. I'll have to give an account. Did I, was I a faithful servant? You'll give an account. Did you speak to your friends? Did you speak to your neighbors? Did you, did you get the message out? Could you have done more to send missionaries? He says, we're going to stand there one day. Look at verse 15. For all of this, all the suffering and the speaking and the serving, he said it was for your sakes, but it really wasn't just for you. It was so that the abundant, that the abundant grace that God gives to men might through their thanksgiving redound to the glory of God. He said, really, I went through all of this because I wanted God to be glorified as his grace was extended. And as men and women were thankful for that grace, then God will be glorified. And for all of eternity, God will receive glory from the lives of those who have been changed by his grace. And Paul says, that's why I'm doing all this. And that's the only motivation that will keep you going. Because if you do it because you love people, eventually you stop loving people. And they slam enough doors in your place, face or say enough negative things, you'll be like, I don't know if I like people as much as I thought. Or I'll do it for the pastor. Well, after a while, if you're doing it for any other reason than for him and his glory, you'll stop doing it. But Paul says, I keep going. It's all about God's glory. And it helps us keep going. Look at the last three verses. He says, it's for this cause, because of the glory of God, that we don't faint. He says, but even though our outward man is perishing, every day the inward man is renewed. God gives us the strength to keep going. And, and, he's, and so in the light of weariness, he was able to keep going because he was doing it for God. And maybe you've gotten weary. Let God renew you. Get a fresh vision of God and his glory. Secondly, affliction, verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And you think about anything you'll go through for the cause of Christ, and you put it on a scale over here. And then you put the rewards of heaven. The scale is going to go like this. Whatever that affliction is, it seems so big and heavy. Well, what my friends think of me? That's a small little thing compared to the reward and weight of glory and eternity. We're not going to care. We're not going to think, oh, I wish I had three more friends when I was down there on earth. No, we're not going to think about that. We're just going to be glad we served Jesus and we believed on Jesus. And then thirdly, fear, verse 18 says, we don't look at the things that are seen but we look at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. And when we're faced with fear, the things we can see, what do you see? Are you saying I have to go out and take some of these gospel evils and, and give them to people? That's crazy. Do you understand what people are going to think of me? They're going to think I'm some kind of crazy religious nut. You can't ask me to do that. Paul says we look at the things we can see. Yeah, it might seem a bit tough, but he said, when we see the things we can't see, we realize things we're afraid of are just temporary. How many of you worried about losing a friend in primary three? You know, it really keeps you up late at night. Now, if you're Darcy, maybe, but if you're an adult, you're like, oh, I just I've had a rough life. I lost a friend when I was seven. You're like, no, I'm kind of over that. I realized that was just minor. And anything we're worried about that keeps us from sharing the gospel is temporary, it's fleeting, and it is small compared to the glory of God.
So this morning, one, have you experienced the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? Has it radically changed your life? If it hasn't, believe on Christ today. Number two, if you have experienced the glorious gospel, you feel like a weak, frail, clay pot who's unworthy to carry it, well, that's exactly the way you should. Because what God wants to do is he wants to break that pot and he wants to show how he can use even a broken and weak and stumbling person so that his glory will be praised for all of eternity. Will you let God use your pot? Will you let God use your life? Will you let God use your vessel, broken, weak as it is, and say, God, I give you my life. I give you my, my earthen vessel, and I'll let you break me and use me if that's the way you want to be glorified. I give you my life for your glory and for your honor. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, thank you, God, for the great gospel Thank you that we're privileged to carry it and help us, Lord, to be willing to be broken so that your light can shine through us to a lost and a dying world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, the pastor's going to come in a minute, but take a moment there in your seat while our sister plays a little something there. Will you say, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my, my, my earthen vessel. If you're not a believer, will you believe on him today? If you are a believer, you say, God, I'm willing to die for you this week. I don't think he's going to ask you to literally die, but I'm willing to die to what I want. I'm willing to die to my pride a little bit. I'm willing to die to my, my time a little bit, and I will die to get your message out. Will you pray and talk to God? Don't leave this moment without speaking to the Lord. Don't leave this moment without believing on Christ, and may you do business with the Lord. Thank you.